and welcome to the 396th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows who to call when cardboard needs a doctor. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My guest host this week is, again, Ted Wong, covering for Cliff Daigle at Sloan Stranger on Twitter, and we are here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for having me. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into this week's developments. But before we jump in, I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Ted, my friend, what is on our agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have our usual four segments. First, we'll kick things off with segment number one, the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. After that, we'll move on to our second segment, where we'll talk about the top movers of the week and discuss why we believe these cards saw significant gains. Then, we're on to segment number three, our cards to watch, where we'll both share the cards we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we wrap things up with our final segment, our topics of the week, which this week we'll discuss Doctor Who reveals and the Fall Cavern promos. Alrighty, let's kick things off here with the metagame week in review. We've got two modern challenges. I wanted to zero in on modern this week as we've been seeing a lot of black red scam lately. I wanted to see if that trend line is continuing because if it keeps putting up four or five, you know, three to five copies in every top eight, maybe we could see some action uh, aimed at tamping it down in the next six to 12 months. And sure enough, in this challenge on Friday, we had Hammer Time take the whole thing down, rocking two copies of Forge Anew out of the Lord of the Rings release. But second and third, seventh and eighth places were all black-red scam lists, leveraging the new uh, not-dead card from Wilds of Eldraine. We had Blue-Red Murktide in fourth. We had Black-Green Yawgmoth running two Agatha Soul Cauldron in fifth and a Living End list making use of four Oliphant and two Generous Ent, alongside three Fury, which is one of their recent innovations. Yeah, looks like this is the world of Black Red Scam, which is pretty consistent with what we've seen in recent weeks. So in some ways, no surprises in this particular challenge. The challenge that went down on Sunday was certainly more diverse overall. It did still have a Black Red Scam list that finished third, and it was won by Black Green Yogmoth running three Soul Cauldron. Four Color Omnath running four bean, up the Beanstalk, four the One Ring, and four Omnath, and, and apparently registering 64 cards, uh, was in second place. We had Green White Heliod with three Soul Cauldron in sixth, and four Color Omnath in seventh, looking very much like the second place list, and a Jund list in eighth. The spice of the week comes from two places. The fourth place list, which was a Domain Scam list that looked pretty cool. This thing had elements of the five Color Domain decks as well as the Black Red Scam decks. They're still running the four Grief and four Fury 
but they're also running four Territorial Cavu and four Scion of Draco alongside four Orcish Bowmasters. They also run two Hidetsugu Consumes All mm. going after the one drops and four Leyline Binding, four Up the Beanstalk, four Lightning Bolt, an Undying Evil, a Feign Death, and four Not Dead After All at a Wilds of Eldraine. A little bit of a hybrid there. Yeah, why choose one archetype when you can have two, right? <laughs> just mash them together. Um, I-, I love lists where you see Kavu and Scion of Draco. It's just, you know, great cards from, you know, MH2, which find a home. Well, it's cool because bo- all five of the creatures they're running are more than happy to come back into play. So it- it's not like they need the grief and the fury to make use of the six uh, regeneration effects. Definitely. And... As a result, you're going to have a lot of trouble keeping these things off the table if you don't exile them. Oh, yeah. And these are some very, very beefy creatures that are hitting the field. So it is, you know, it's a spicy deck for sure. The other spicy one was this fifth place list, which I'm going to call Red Midrange. We've seen various non-burn related red decks over the last couple of years. But this one has, you know, elements of a whole lot of things, but still looks pretty unique. One Shadow Spear, four Mishra's Research Desk, four Stone of Eric in the main. Hmm. So putting a huge bullseye on Scam there to prevent their things from being able to hit the yard and bounce back into play. Two Bone Crusher Giant, four Fury of their own, four Season Pyromancer, one Haywire Might, four Lightning Bolt, one Spikefield Hazard, four Unholy Heat, four Flame Slash, and four Cleansing Wildfire. This looks like a meta-challenging deck if there ever was one. Yep. A lot of these cards, you can tell, are includes in order to target um, the current meta. I'm, you know, it, it looks like a fun list, but I'm never fond of, I think, uh, deck lists that are designed to be kind of the inverse, you know, of what I'll call the meta because it just adapts and then this gets pushed out. But definitely, you know, the uh, pilot of this deck shows some real, you know, creativity in terms of, you know, uh, challenging uh, some of the preeminent decks that they we're up against one of the cute things here though is if you look at you know four of the major art major archetypes out of the 16 mentioned here those stone of eric's re- actually are quite good against not just scam but black green yogmoth they're good against living end they're good against uh the domain scam list and elements of green white heliod would be challenged by that card as well yep definitely a very very nice include yeah Moving over to top paper movers, did a lot of filtering down to what it seemed like a, you know, there's in theory dozens or hundreds of cards that moved this week, but the ones that actually seemed to matter was a relatively small list for me. Solfum Mayhem Dominus out of uh, All Will Be One going 10 to 12, just 20% gains, but worth noticing, noting that this mythic is, is starting to show signs of waking up as the eighth biggest card from this set for EDH purposes is in 35,000 decks so far, 3.5,000 as a commander. And who knows, could end up being a a standard or a pioneer presence at some point. We've certainly seen it do a lot of work in games where it's showed up that uh, we've played with the EDH pods inside ProTrader. Leyline of the Void Retro uh, foils out of Time Spiral Remastered were underprinted overall. You had to get 27 packs cracked to find one of the retro foils. And then I think there was a fairly large list of them overall. 
So took a lot of boxes to find any one of these. And as a result, the best of the bunch have shown gains over time. Here we have the Leyline of the Void retrofoils going 90 to 150, 67% gains. Solid growth at the top end uh, of those retrofoils for sure. I would imagine that any of these that are in good position now are in good position for sale because... They've shown no willingness to protect retrofoils from reprinting. We've seen multiple copies of Yawgmoth, for instance, and, and Urza. So if you're sitting on any of that stuff, you're probably going to want to get rid of it in the next three to six months, I would imagine. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, James, Leyland of the Void just got reprinted in Eldraine, right? Obviously not in the retrofoil treatment. So I think, again, you know, this is a card that there's a lot of supply on, and if you're holding one of these and... You know, you see that current, you know, price point at, you know, what it is, I probably would sell and let that one go, <laughs> you know, because at a very healthy price. And assuming you can even find the, the market to answer the price, given that there are, there is another version handy. Yep. Treasonous Ogre Foils at a coal, uh, Conspiracy 20 to 40, but none have actually sold above 22. So this is more of a question mark as to whether the, the market that's running the, uh, not the, the Rowan uh, decks and EDH that are all about life loss are interested in shelling out for an expensive foil of, of one of their mainstay cards. Mm-hmm. We also have Hedron Archive, Archive Surge Foils out of the 40k premium decks going 2 to $4. Surge Foil targeting has been a thing all year as people start to draw down that inventory on the rare certainty these days that there has never been a reprint of the 40k uh, premium decks. Unlike, say, the Doctor Who situation where you're going to have CBs with a whole bunch of variants uh, running out into the market alongside the decks, which is certainly going to make it more challenging for those cards to take off. Stone of Eric uh, foils out of Lord of the Rings, dollar to two fifty on the back of that include in the red deck, I would imagine, important versus black red scam and a bunch of the other decks, as we just noted. And then we talked last week about the Ristic Study confetti foils, and this week we have the art card. This is not a playable magic card. This is just the art card that you get in the set boosters with the gold stamp signature on it is a rarer variant. And they went $2 to $8 with basically no copies left on TCG Player. Uh, Big moves, I guess, on the confetti foils filtering down to that. To be clear, this is the art card with the anime art, right? I assume that's the preferred version. Yes. That's what people are excited about. Yeah, yeah. I think that would make sense because there is a lot of, I think, hype and excitement around that particular um, artistic style. Moving over to Magic Online Movers of the Week, we got Subtlety out of MH2 going 28 tickets to almost 40, 38% gains on the back of continued modern usage and some usage in Legacy as well. Mana Confluence at a Born of the Gods, 5.45 ticks to 7.53. It has been reprinted in in recent years, but in, not in a standard set. It was in a secret layer, and it was in... Um, box Topper, was it, for Commander Box Topper Legend. for Commander Legends, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. So none of those, neither of those was relevant in the Magic Online environment, and as a result, the continued Pioneer usage pushes this up again 38%. Then we have Lotus Field, one of the constant top five decks in the Pioneer format. M20 printing going eight tickets to 13.3, 64% gains there. All makes sense and all looks good. Heading on over to cards to watch. Speaking of Mana Confluence, I'm going to make this a sell call. They will print this either in a subset or a commander deck or a secret layer again or somewhere 
<laughs> and the prices are plenty high. If we look at the various versions of Mana Confluence, I don't think any of them are under $20. We have the Zendikar Expeditions at 165 market. We have the Secret Layer Drop series from the Pride uh, drop at $42. We have those buy box promos from Commander Legends at $27 to $28. And Journey into Nyx is at $27. This is the kind of land that once it gets printed into a standard set could easily hit five bucks. Yep. It is an so. auto include in pretty much any multicolor commander deck. And it, this is ripe for them to just print into you know whether it's a standard set or any secret layer or this is just due for a reprint i think ooh, that that is i 100 percent agree with that in this era of reprints one of the points i'm making in my article that's going live uh overnight is you have to be ready to sell when the selling is good you can't just sit around assuming you're going to have months or years to get around to finding your exit so we're going to make more of an effort to make these make these call outs so that people can go into go oh yeah i've got some of those sitting around go get them listed when the timing is right makes sense what about your first sell, your first buy call this week sure so both of my picks for this week james are i guess leading up to exelon so uh, obviously there is a lot of uh, dinosaur typal hype and as we know there's also the crossover with jurassic park which is an ip that resonates with me deeply given my age so i've been looking at um different what i'll call rare cards with the dinosaur theme that i think um, could present interesting opportunities the one I've chosen here is Gishath Sun's Avatar in etched foil treatment, which came out of a secret lair. I believe the secret lair is called Monster Anatomy 101, if uh, memory serves me correctly. And it's a very unique treatment because it's, it's not the whole card that's foil etched, but parts of it are. And in hand, the cards are beautiful. And if you look at the supply for this particular secret lair, it is very, very tight. Um, there's... Gosh, 13 copies of the card um, left on uh, TCG, and there are uh, probably a handful of copies at 50, and then it starts pushing up towards $80, you know, and up. My view is that Gashath is one of the best dinosaurs ever printed. Once the dinos from the set are out, this one is going to be one that everyone will want to include in their EDH deck. So I think there's a nice window to get in or to list the copies that you have and sell up the curve, which I think will occur in the coming months uh, with Ixalan releasing. I remember distinctly that most of the pro traders felt pretty medium on this release when it was, when it was unveiled and felt, yeah, you know, etched hasn't been great. We're not really sure about it. And the cards in this drop seemed medium at the time. And indeed you could get copies uh, last January of 2023 as low as $22. So it has already doubled up mm -hmm. just in the course of this year heading into Ixalan. So you're really, your absolute best entry point was about 10 months ago. The But where we're standing now, as you said, there's very, very few copies left. There's also no cheap copies to be found overseas. And this tends to be the case with most of the good secret layer cards because Europe and Japan, etc., don't order that many mm -hmm. because of shipping charges. And as a result, there's no bargains to be had on these on card market. You can't get $20 copies over there. And people have already been nibbling at the dinosaur stuff leading into the Ixalan hype cycle. So if you want one of these, the time is now because this will not catch a reprint as is in the Ixalan related releases. And 
even if it showed up as a regular copy and in a commander deck or something, that's not really the point here. The point is that you're going to want to trick out your dinosaur deck. And this particular foil etched is a very good looking uh, specimen to add in therein. So for these to go, what are you calling 70 to 50 to 80? I could see 50 to 70 at minimum and they could land anywhere in that zone. Yep. So seems reasonable to me. Uh, my first pr- pick for the week is uh, continuing along this trend line of confetti foils that are in good position uh, currently in terms of inventory from the Wilds of Eldraine special releases found in the collector boosters. I'm looking at sneak attack confetti foil. Ooh. I cracked one of these in my boxes and sold it already, but I've been keeping an eye on it because I had a couple of other requests for them. And as I'm looking over the confetti foils on TCG player in terms of which ones are relatively low priced and also have a lower price, if I look at something like the Ristic Study, it's got 19 listings and the market price is currently showing is 383. You know, impressive as we talked about last week. Very. But the sneak attack is is almost 10 times less. It's at market price 43 and also has 19 listings. And if I look at the sales pattern for these over the last week, they're selling, you know, onesie, twosie a day throughout the week, which is very normal for a premium card. But the inventory doesn't seem to be catching up with the demand and so we're down to just 16 listings near mint nobody's got any walls everybody's just got a single copy because these are not confetti foils are not easy to pull at a product so if you see a pallet get broken by the gaming company maybe they're going to post 12 copies in three months but as of right now it looks very much to me like this could bounce off the bottom which was about 36 and we're already talking looking at 46 and I could see this gaining another 10 or $20 a copy. So if you want a, a copy of this, you might be able to wait six months and get one for 30 bucks. But I have a feeling they're going to, if they're going to languish, it's going to be closer to the existing price point. I have a theory, James, regarding the confetti falls, especially the mythic cards, that any of them below $100 are pretty attractive. I think, you know, again, to our theme from our, the last cast, these look really nice in hand, and there is certainly a huge fan base for the anime-style art. They're very, very hard to pull. So I think, you know, seeing cards like this in this very special treatment at your buy price of sub $50, it's kind of a no-brainer to me. I just feel like, the given, again, the relative rarity and the fact that they're extremely playable, I think 45 to 80 you know, I think that makes, you know, a lot of sense. I'm just, all things considered. All right, you're calling a sell call on Watley Warrior Poet? Oh, sorry. It's actually a buy call. I have it, you know, color-coded the wrong way, but uh, I'll fix it. Yep, please switch it up. But this is, um, again, another card um, that is feeding into the dino hype um, leading, I guess, up to Ixalan release. What I was doing um, earlier this afternoon was just filtering through, I think, um, different cards um, from the prior Ixalan set and just prior sets that have, I think, strong typal synergy with dinosaurs. And I think um, Huatli Warrior Poet, which is a mythic out of the original Ixalan, so single printing a planeswalker, um, it is, and I've chosen the foil treatment, very, very tight supply, you know, on TCG. We're talking sub-20 copies, and I am calling, you know, an entry price at around $8 with the goal of, you know, exiting with a double up, you know, at around, you know, $15. 
this is the type of card that I think for casual dinosaur typal decks will be an auto include. It has some nice abilities and, um, you know, the non-fold copies have been selling, you know, pretty actively. Some fold copies have started to move. I just think given the relatively tight supply on something like this, you will, um, I, I think this will be uh, a nice, what I'll call, you know, card to pick up a few copies of, um, you know, leading up into Exelon. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think the dinosaurs are popular. That's why they're going back to Ixalan. People are going to build decks. There's, we've already seen enough new dinosaurs for me to know that it's it's going to crack the top five, and you're going to see a bunch of dinosaur de- decks get built. People are going to bring them to the Pro Trader pods. So the anything with scarcity that looks like an auto-include is probably in good position, and the market is already moving on a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on over to our topics of the week. Uh, they've started kicking off a week of doctor who commander previews which is going to lead very quickly into doctor who being released um everything i've heard in the you know talking to vendors across the globe uh is that pre-orders are pretty weak that wizards already expects this to be an underperformer and they're kind of looking to just get it out the door have it you know have its moment do what they can to help push it and then they're you know accepting that it's going to be one of their weaker releases of the year what that means is that there's an a there's a lot to be said for looking for the really good cards in this set, because if players are not going to buy a tremendous amount of it, but they're going to end up coming around to some of these singles, those singles will have a better chance than, you know, an, a rare out of this might have a better chance than, say, a rare out of Lord of the Rings, where people were, were opening tens of thousands of boxes trying to track down the one ring. The card that jumped out at me the, the at, with the uh, most potential from today's reveals is a thing called river songs diary which is an artifact for three mana does a very simple thing whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell from their hand you exile it instead of putting it into a graveyard as it resolves so if they were hoping to recurse it or do something else with it too bad diary takes it out of commission and puts it under uh, your artifact and then at the beginning of your upkeep if there are four or more cards exiled with the diary you choose one of them at random and you may cast it without paying its mana cost spicy is what i what i thought when i first read it because well first of all it's a rare which is surprising (laughs) given what it does but sure um uh so it's kind of like a dothy voidwalker effect right which i think one of the pro traders pointed out where now spells don't go to the graveyard it's getting exiled and then on top of that you the person who controls this artifact then has the ability to kind of snag them and cast oh choose one of them at random so you got to roll the dice on them interesting okay so this and pay it for free okay that there is a lot of uh i can see this having some very very um interesting interactions uh in some edh games the thing that i think is most interesting about this is that it's not necessarily the power level Mm -hmm. it doesn't strike me as a broken card so much as just a value engine Mm -hmm. card uh something along the lines of a palantir of orthanc Mm -hmm. but the thing that is interesting here to me is that a it's colorless so it can go in any deck and more to the point it doesn't care what themes you're running per se yep because it's a reactive card it's it's feeding off of what your opponents are doing so the real question is how many spell slinger decks are you running against because it the, the more blue red decks at the table the more likely you're going to get value out of this thing 
you know, the, the decks that are running a ton of instants and sorceries are going to end up giving you a very serious value engine that they might end up, end up wanting to deal with. But then again, maybe they don't fear it that much as the game goes on because it's, you know, random. So even if you get a Wrath of God caught under this thing, you don't get to just automatically cast it at your leisure and you don't have any easy way to remove them from the pile. So it's not like you have a, a way of narrowing the field. The more things they cast into this, the less reliable the card becomes. But there's still, you know, two, three, four turns after it hits four where it's going to do a lot of work. Now, the counter argument on all this is it otherwise does nothing. I mean, it stops them from recursing instants and sorceries, but that's not a, a, as much as that versus recursing creatures doesn't come up all that often in the games that we play. Um, you would see more of it if you if there was a very popular blue-red spells commander in circulation these days, but there isn't really. I mean, there's probably 50 of them you could run, but I don't see them very often. And so I just think this is a good card. And if it ends up being worth money, it's probably because it doesn't care if you have vampires or artifacts or enchantments or dinosaurs. It just cares that you're playing EDH. Yeah, I would say you're right. It's nice. It's it's a nice include in many decks because, to your point, you just deprive people of the ability to e-wit, you know, a nice spell that they have in their graveyard, right? So that's nice. And then, it, depending on the roll of the dice, you might get, you might be able to, you know, recast someone else's wrath or sorts to plowshares or whatever it is that they want to, that they have cast earlier in the game. But worst comes to worst, it's not mandatory, right? You may, ca- you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Worst comes to worst, you just don't cast it, right? So it, it has upside, and I think it's an, it's a nifty card design, and I like it a lot and i will i I can see this uh, finding a nice amount of adoption like a palantir with orthanc i think that's a very nice um that's a very nice analogy to it it does have a bit of a rattlesnake to it because if they do cast a wrath into it they then have to be ready for a wrath you know subject subject to a 10 to 20 percent chance of getting wrathed Mm -hmm. on any subsequent turn it is also notable that it doesn't only react to opponents. Mm-hmm. You can be proactive with it by just, ca- you know, you're the blue-red Spellslinger deck or, or Grixis or Esper or whatever, and you're going to cast a bunch of things into it, not waiting on your opponents, and get to four pretty quickly. So you're just going to go like, uh, you know, Opt, Ponder, Lightning Bolt, Factor Fiction, and boom, it's turned on. Mm-hmm. And if at any point opponents did anything of their own, in the interim, they got you there already. Yep. And then, you know, if you're playing a bunch of, you know, card draw or card selection spells like that, you're just going to continuously get value no matter what comes up on the on the wheel. So I think it's a pretty fun card. I, I would imagine we will all be testing it this weekend, and maybe we can report back next week on how that goes. The other couple that jumped out at me are bigger on the inside, a very strange-looking aura. Three red-green. You can enchant an artifact or a land. Enchanted, probably you're going to want to put this on a land. Enchanted permanent has target player adds two mana of any one color, and the next spell they cast this turn has Cascade. (laughs) (laughs) You and I have both Cascaded enough and been Cascaded against enough to know that Cascade is one of the more broken mechanics in the format. Definitely. And certainly to have something like this lets you make two mana uh, of only... Notably, it's not a mixture of two mana, so it's not as good automatically in something like Joda as you might want it to be. 
But the decks that already want to be cascading, like your Jodas and your Maelstrom Wanderers and what have you, will probably find reason to at least test this out to see if they like it. Yeah, I, uh, I think, again, Cascade players and Cascade decks love cascading, and anything that <laughs> further enables that, you know, sounds fun to me. Yep, this is definitely going to be, uh, uh, you, you'll see this pop up for sure. The other cute thing here is that if you're in a losing position, as tends to be the case in a lot of pods we play, where two or three of us are trying to figure out how to beat whoever is the current nemesis, this lets you do this to someone else. Mm-hmm. So if you, you're trying to help somebody else find find a, a spell that's going to get you out of trouble, you know, you're, you're dealing with a problematic enchantment, you're in blue-black, you don't really have anything to deal with it, but there's a white play at the table that certainly has a Heliod's intervention and, you know, it's somewhere in their deck. You can help them go ahead and give them some mana, let them cascade, let them try to find that solution, and play the politics game with this card, which I think is extra interesting. Definitely. They also showed us Gallifrey Stands, which is four white-blue for a legendary enchantment. Enters the battlefield, return all doctor cards from your graveyard to your hand. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a doctor creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Then if you control 13 or more doctors, you win the game. So River Song's Diary is a very open-ended, fits in almost anywhere card. It gets better in a couple in some spell-heavy archetypes. This one is extremely narrow. Basically, you're either playing Doctor Who cards or you're playing Morophon. And in both cases, this card's going to be excellent. But outside of that, it's going to be largely ignored. Yeah, it's cool design. But to your point, it's going to be applicable in just very narrow circumstances. You're going to need the Morophons of the world. You're going to need Changelings. You're going to need a Mask with Nexus, that sort of thing, right? It's And, that, and those decks are fun. It's just um, it's not going to have as large of an audience as some of these other cards. Curious on your take about on K9 Mark 1. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1 blue robot dog. As long as it's untapped, other legendary creatures you control have Ward 1. It can also make a legendary creature unblockable by paying 1 and a blue and tapping it. And it's a Doctor's Companion, so you can play it as your second commander if your other commander is a Doctor. Uh, uh, I'm thinking about this in like blue-black ninjas and might try to find a slot for it in Joda. 1000%. This is by far, of all the cards revealed today, I would argue that this is the one that I am the most excited about simply because it's a one drop legendary and it has two very, very appealing effects, right? Because if you can stick this in the first couple of turns, it helps protect some of the other legendary creatures you have, you know, like in a Joda deck. And then on top of that, if you need to push through damage, especially if, I don't know, your your fellow players are playing Initiative or Monarch, right? Can be kind of handy. And also, I find that in Joda, sometimes with some of my lower-cost legendaries, I don't have a lot to use the cascade effect into and having another one drop rather than a ragaband or a yoshimaru is really nice so as a one drop this is awesome i i love this card design i think it's in some ways very pushed you know for a one drop but this is one that i'm really excited to play with and test with um in my decks we played against slicer last night uh ron was running uh, a mono red slicer oh, yes. build and he got he he went mountain soul ring turn two slicer and then the table took like 60 damage or something <laughs> over the course of four turns. And if you have a Mark 1 in Joda, like I've run Joda Transformers, 
if I get a slicer out and use the Mark One to make sure on other people's turns it can't be blocked <laughs> by this the singular <laughs> player that could have could have killed it, it's only going to get worse. So yeah, that I can see a variety of decks finding reason to to make a little home for this. Probably not at the top levels of the format, but uh, certainly at you know your five to eight level decks. I think there's going to be some people that can find room for Mark One. Definitely. Uh, they showed us Blink which is one of the weirdest sagas they've ever printed. I bet you haven't noticed yet that the the first ability on it is not on the first and second chapters, but on the first and third, and the second ability is on the second and fourth. Oh, yeah, I just noticed that. So it kind of skips, so oh, it alternates, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's going to get this wrong. Oh, boy. So basically, you get to uh, tuck a creature... And the person who you tuck investigates. Then you get a 2-2 black alien angel artifact creature token with first strike and vigilance. But the downside is whenever an opponent casts a creature spell, it isn't a creature until end of turn. So basically they can make it not be able to block pretty easily. Uh, But you still end up at the end of four turns here, tucking twice and getting 4-4 of first strike vigilance power in the air, which is not a bad deal. Yeah, and and I don't know the Doctor Who lore really well. Is this going back to the whole Weeping Angels episode again? I'm looking at the art of this card. I think it all ties exactly, back to that. Exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the angels trapped the Doctor in the past, and there's a character in the future that get he records a bunch of videos for them and then sends it to them, and they have to watch them to figure out the clues to how to beat the angels. Oh. So... That that's what this is referring to. It's actually a good episode. Everybody, sh- everybody, if you're gonna watch one Doctor Who episode, that's usually the one people tell you to watch. Okay. And then you can kind of gauge your interest from there. They also showed us another situational sweeper, Crisis of Conscience. Uh, absolutely atrocious art on this card. Wow, bad. Yeah. Uh, four double white. Choose one, destroy all tokens or destroy all non-land, non-token permanents. So. If I'm playing against your Ginny Fey deck, I can get rid of all your tokens. If I'm playing my Ginny Fey deck, I can keep mine alive and kill everybody else's stuff. And it's notable that this doesn't kill... If you destroy all non-land, non-token permanents, it's permanents, not creatures. Yeah. So that that gets rid of all the artifacts, all the enchantments, all the the, the non-token creatures, and leaves just your Ginny Fey tokens on the board. That is probably going to win you the game in the token decks. Yeah. I mean, it is six mana cost, so yeah, it's it's. I can see myself experimenting with it. I can't say that I'm like a hundred percent bought into it, but I definitely would give it a go in Genefe, like you said. It, it's probably better than Farewell, though. There, because the the the, the mode on Farewell you often want the most is creatures, mm-hmm. and then you're usually trying to get rid of some artifacts or enchantments. Yeah. In this particular case. If if you had both of them in hand, you're in you're in a token heavy deck like Ginny Fey, you're gonna to want to cast Crisis of Conscience because it doesn't affect your creatures, but you can still get rid of all the other creatures. I think what I would say is farewell is usually to prevent myself from losing the game. If I cast this card, uh, Crisis of Conscience, it's because I'm trying to win the game. <laughs> I guess is the best way I would put it. Well, it's gonna do both. Yeah, it's it's gonna get rid of whatever the problems were on the table for the most part. You know, somebody's Avenger of Zendikar tokens might get left behind, but a lot of the time, this is gonna just going to leave your stuff. Now, 
these narrow sweepers are very rarely specs. Uh, the more of them they give us, the less likely any one of them will take off because they end up just, you know, you're going to have the one for the fairies deck, the one for the Morophon deck, the one for the vampire deck, and so forth. And it makes it hard for any of them to really ever get expensive. Uh, they also showed us Genesis of the Daleks for double black for a saga. You create a Dalek token the first turn, then you take create two the next turn, then three the next turn, and then on the fourth turn, uh, they you're, you pick up an opponent and they face a villainous choice. They can destroy all Dalek creatures and each of your opponents lose life equal to the total power of Daleks, which could be... Nine life, is that three, right? Nine, eight, three, nine, eighteen? Could be eighteen. Because you get you got a three three, then two three threes, then three three threes. Oh, uh, sorry, I I missed that. It, it it escalates. So right, you get six. Yeah. One plus two plus three is six. Six times three is you lose eighteen life, or you destroy everything else. Ooh, spicy. Okay. Or destroy all non Dalek creatures. So as we were just saying, you know these sweepers that are conditional, like the Dalek deck loves, or or just a a, a black control deck can make use of the genesis of the Daleks, and. If it doesn't care about losing its other creatures, or they can take eighteen, which is a good choice because you could give it to you could have two opponents that are below eighteen mm-hmm. or very close, and you give it to the other opponent and let them wipe them off the map. It's both their fault and two of your opponents are gone, so it's just wins all around. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it, it's a spicy card. Uh, I can see myself wanting to experiment with this in some of the you know black decks. It, it's a it's a nice way to end the game. Uh, you also have Day of the Moon. Choose a creature card name, then go to all creatures with a name chosen for Day of the Moon. And so basically, this escalates as well. It th- has three chapters. So on the first turn, you pick a creature. On the second turn, you pick a new creature plus the old creature. And on the third turn, you pick the previous two plus the new one. So one, two, three, and you're goading you know, a total of six times for three mana, which is very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I, I, and, and and especially if you have other control elements to kind of other in other ways impact how combat is going on the board, this really starts to mess with what's going on on everybody else's side. I, I love the goad mechanic, and we've seen it time and time again in our pods. Right, you, you, the, some of the goad cards, some of the goad mechanisms can really, uh, I think, change up the state of play. <laughs> and this fits, I think, right into that type of card, that strategy. So we're we're gonna have Doctor Who reveals all the way through the rest of the week, and next week we will have a big Doctor Who breakdown because we're gonna see pretty much all the rest of the cards by the end by Friday, I believe. So next next uh, week we'll go all over that and wrap up uh the only other thing we wanted to cover here is that they there was some information about the cavern of souls neon yellow promos that are getting sent out to wpn premium stores there are not as many of those as you might think it's only something like less than 500 stores globally Mm -hmm. and if they send in their uh point of sale data so they're the sales information on wizards related skews so that is both magic the gathering and dungeons and dragons then they get promo support from wizards and part of that promo support is that if they send in their quarterly information then they can get seven cavern of souls to hand out in store you know as prizes in store and what have you so between all of the various stores and the fact that they're going to get them all four quarters uh, of the coming year in 2024, you can expect something like 
12,000 to 13,000 of those to be distributed globally, Ooh. which is not trivial, but not as bad as it could have been. Right. But to be clear, this is one ink color among six, right? So there's going to be yeah. quite a bit of competition for this particular card and this particular art, which, by the way, I'm not a big fan of. I mean, we've seen some amazing Cavern of Souls art, so this is just, you know, it's interesting, but just not my, really not my cup of tea. Yeah, so Cavern is st- still has to be on a downward trend, because, as you said, a bunch of other versions being printed in, in the Ixalan set. The the other card that's in that boat is, is Mana Crypt, of course. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was playing the Blue Black Ninjas deck I have last night that has one of my borderless mana crypts in it. And I was like, I said to the table, you know, guys, I know I'm supposed to list this for sale. I guess I probably will. But I don't actually want to replace it with the uglier mana crypt. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that. this is how they get you. Because sometimes the reprint is great for availability and bringing the a minimum price point. But... If the older version is just a better looking version, then it's it's tough as a collector slash player to give up your copies. Because if I just want to play it, put an ugly version in the deck, I can just put a proxy and I can just scribble on a piece of paper and put one in. The way I think about this type of reprint is that it will lower the price point and it will create supply and availability for people to include an s-tier staple in more decks but it's never going to replace that super fancy version like the borderless or the masterpiece that you've put in your most beloved deck right like no one's going to use one of these in place of that and i think it goes further to i think what you've said time and time again which is that multiple premium treatments can exist altogether and certain of them despite reprints will always hold their value see masterpieces as an example yeah. The Manicrypt Borderless from Double Masters is probably the version people need to think the hardest on. It's mm-hmm. currently $235 on TCG Player, and y- y- that could drop 100 bucks plus. Definitely. Or it, could sit, or it could sit right where it is. Hard to say. But you have to assume downward pressure. So you should probably get them up for sale, folks. Sounds good to me. I guess that's pretty much it for the week. Uh, where can folks find you online, my friend? Um, you can find me on Sloan Stranger at Twitter, and you can see me lurking around the Pro Trader Discord, and you can also read my weekly articles that, you know, I post at mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, should have one launching tomorrow, and also my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord, helping our members get the maximum value for their dollar. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of the MTG Fast Finance podcast. I really enjoyed our discussion today, James, and thanks again for having me. Thank you, Ted. We'll see you again in the future when uh, Cliff and I need a, need a hand. We'll also see all of you next week on another episode of MTG 
Bass Finance.